real glad you guys are here. And if you're uh, new with us, uh, you've come at a great time because our over the last few weeks, we've been in our Jesus Plus Nothing series going through the book of Colossians. Now, I love Colossians because it's all about Jesus, his name, his authority, and his attributes. And really, in this life, following after Christ, it really is Jesus plus nothing. And so last week, we were in the beginning of chapter 3. And if we're honest, it was kind of like a downer. If you were here last week, you know it's put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, right? It's like, whoa, man, that is a list, right? It's ugly, but it's it's ugly because it's a reminder of our depravity. We need to hear those things, right? We need to hear that. It's good, but it's heavy. But what's the next step? We put to death these things, take these things off, like it said in verse 5, but then what? We take those things off and then walk around naked, No, we don't do that, right? We have to put something back on. That's what we'll be looking at this morning, taking off these things so that we can put on something greater. If we put sin to death in our life, it has to be replaced with something else. And so we'll be in verses 12 to 17 of Colossians chapter 3, but before we jump in, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. We pray that you would speak to us from your word, that you would open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to accept everything that you have for us this morning. Would you bless us in your name? Amen. So will you stand with me as we uh, read the scriptures here? Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And lastly, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to jump back up into verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We're going to pause there for just a second because this is a statement of affirmation. Paul is addressing the children of God, those who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. The book of Colossians is a book very much written to those who already believe. It was written by... It was written by Paul and handed down to the church of believers in Colossae. But as Pastor Rod said last week, we don't want to make that assumption that everyone sitting here this morning already believes. Maybe you're here and you haven't decided to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you haven't, uh, you just want to check out the church, and that's great. We're so glad you're here. But the truth is, whether you believe the Bible or not, these things you'll hear this morning are transferable principles. 
They're good for life. Just because it's written to Christ followers doesn't mean this has nothing for you. There are life-changing principles found in this book. Cool? All right. So going back to verse 12, putting off the old self and putting on the new self doesn't begin with us. It says, as God's chosen people. It begins with Jesus. How are we his chosen people? How are we holy and dearly loved? It isn't in us inherently. We aren't that way because we're just cool like that, right? We are God's chosen, holy, loved people because of Jesus in us. Romans 10.9 declares that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At that moment, we become heirs, children, adopted into the family by the blood of the Lamb and the power of his resurrection. Colossians is all about the supremacy of Christ and how it's him and him alone by which we can be saved, counted as his chosen, holy, loved children. So where does it start? Jesus. Okay, let's say that together. Where does it start? Jesus. Thank you. Point number one this morning is clothe yourselves first with Jesus. Let's read the rest of that verse. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, starts in Jesus, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here we see the new self. We've put to death the old ways so that we can make room for the new self that we find in Jesus. We start to see this come come to us. So it says, verse 13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As Christ followers, we are set apart, adopted into the family of God so that we can be different in this world. So where do these good things come from? Are these things that we see naturally in the world, are these things naturally coming out of us through the world today? These things don't naturally occur in the world, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. Where do these things come from? Well, starting at Jesus plus nothing, we know it starts there. It's not on our own merits or efforts, but God and him alone. It's not like, hey, let's put on the mask of Christianity. Let's pretend we have these things. That's like putting lipstick on a corpse. It's still dead, right? Where do these attributes and characteristics come from? Jesus. And it's through his indwelling presence in our lives, through his spirit, that we see these gifts come to expression. So clothe yourselves. Yes, put on. Let them be a reminder to you, but it's not on your own efforts. When we are hidden in Christ, when we've accepted him and find our being, our life now in his, this is what comes naturally. Compassion. Kindness. Humility gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. What's interesting about these qualities is that this isn't the only place we find these attributes come to expression. We also find these in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And to the church in Galatia, Paul calls these things the fruit of the Spirit. 
It says this in Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Where do these traits come from again? The fruit of the Spirit come from Jesus. It's putting off our old selves and choosing to walk in Jesus. It starts there. Jesus in us. Jesus plus nothing. When we are rooted and grounded in Christ, which means when we've decided to make our stand with him, let him into our hearts and commit to following him, these fruits come to expression naturally in us. Imagine a beautiful fruit tree. Look at this. I I saw this picture. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful tree. Imagine this beautiful fruit tree planted in rich soil and pure water with perfect light shining on it. What would that tree do naturally? It would grow and produce what? Fruit. Jesus is the soil. He is the nutrients flowing through us. Christ in us is the hope of glory, and he shines his face on our lives when we're rooted in him, and what comes naturally? Fruit of his spirit. The reason that this is so good for us this morning is because of how it relieves us. Before, I would look at that list and be like, oh man, I'm not that way. (laughs) I can't attain that, right? But this isn't a burdensome list. This isn't a list of fake faces that we need to put on. Here it is, kids, more things that are out of reach for you, right? Put your masks on and pretend a little harder, right? I attended another church where I would show up and people would literally greet me with, hello, brother, how are you doing this morning? Like, oh, yeah, I'm okay, kind of jacked, how are you? Well, I'm blessed over here, good to see you, right? And then I didn't show up, I was going to this other group, and then I came back and they're like, hey, have you backslidden, brother? We haven't seen you in a while. And it left me feeling like, it left me really feeling like, man, like, I must be really jacked. Like, I must not be a Christian because I show up to church and, like, all these guys are, like, put together. And maybe I just need to act that way. And so I just started to assimilate into this, into this being, into this mask. And I would show up to church. How you doing, brother? I'm good over here. Good to see you. All right. Great. Thanks. Great to see you. This isn't that. Okay? This isn't that. These characteristics are a reflection of Jesus. And as we spend more time in him, the greater we grow and the more his fruit comes to expression. So don't beat yourself up if you're not yet a Christian and these things aren't evident in your life. We can't expect someone who doesn't know Jesus to behave like someone who does. That's ludicrous, right? But isn't that what we do as Christians in the world today? Like we see someone cussing or carrying on and we get this like vitriol response like, oh, oh, I can't can't even be around this, right? Well, let me tell you, that isn't Christian behavior. Now who's worse off? The non-Christian, the non-believer acting like a wretch or the Christian acting that way? Listen, don't beat yourself up if you've been a Christian for a short time and it's slow going. These attributes are still growing, right? You're in process. But if you've been a Christian for years and this isn't happening in you, or it's only happening on Sundays, I'd be checking those motives. 
And if you're not sure like where you land, if you're unsure of your standing as a Christ follower, ask yourself this question. What would people outside of church say about you? What would people at work, would they say they knew that you were a Christian? Now, this isn't to say that we won't fail or fall or sin, but if it's still not happening and you've been claiming Jesus for years, I'd take a more introspective look into my life. Search me, God. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we spend time with Jesus, it's like our lives are steeped in him. And the longer we steep our lives in him, we find the fruits of the Spirit become stronger. It's like Earl Grey tea. Anybody like Earl Grey tea? Well, good, because this is green tea. So you can't just dip the bag in the water and expect it to be done, right? You can't just dip the bag in the water and expect it to be finished. You have to let it steep. You have to let it steep. You have to let it soak in. You have to let it dip down. In our lives, we get to do this as long as we live And wouldn't you know it, the longer we spend with Jesus, the more like him we become. We don't stop sinning, but his fruit comes out and we become the best versions of ourselves. The ones that God is pleased with. He's not pleased. He's not saying, if you don't sin, I'll be pleased with you. He's saying, come and follow after me. Come and seek me and I am pleased with you, right? That doesn't mean that we have to constantly hide behind the mask either. Like, oh man, like I can't show up to sanctuary now and like pretend like everything's not okay. No, it's okay to not be okay. The body of Christ is here so that we can lean on one another. The Bible says bear with each other. It's okay for those times in our life when our world is shaken and it's okay to not be okay and to lean on one another. This isn't a try harder and you'll get there. It's dive deeper into Jesus and his spirit comes out. When we allow our lives to go deeper and deeper into him, we find that these things are a joy to us and they come naturally free-flowing. And so if you're here this morning and you feel convicted as I did going through this, that's just a gentle prodding to return to your first love. Isn't that awesome? It's not with a heavy hand, but with, a, with this gentle prodding. Just a gentle reminder that we're to be different than the rest of the world. It doesn't mean we won't struggle. It's quite the opposite. But when we do, we have a great God and amazing brothers and sisters to lean on. Amen? But you know what? Something else comes to expression in this text, and I don't want us to miss this this morning. Look with me now at verse 15. It says, as God's chosen children, clothe yourselves with these things. And then verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and what? Be thankful. It is so easy to pass this up. We get so jacked on the fruit of the Spirit that we almost skip over this little gem. It's the bronze nugget in your uh, notes this morning. I was going to say golden nugget, but then I was like, no, that's like Pastor Rod. He'd have a golden nugget. nugget, Or maybe Pastor Ron, he would have a golden nugget. So then I was like, oh, maybe a silver nugget. And I was like, that's still a little too hotty. So just bronze nugget, okay? Mike Thompson, bronze nugget this morning. That's where we're at. Side note, bronze nugget is don't forget the thanks. Don't forget the thanks. It says, and be thankful. 
Do we have something to be thankful for this morning? We do, right? I think so. Jesus offering up himself on the cross for our punishment is a lot to be thankful for. No matter what season we find ourselves in, we need to remember to give thanks. And this isn't like a small thing to God either. Like when we read Romans chapter 1, we see some pretty serious stuff and it has to do with thankfulness. In Romans 1.18 it says, The wrath of God is being poured out from heaven because people would suppress his truth. They know him and they refuse to glorify him. And they don't give thanks. This is a big deal to God. Like Pastor Matt Higgins, he's one of our team, you saw him on the picture. He said, thanks is the door by which we enter the presence of God. It's how we come in. It's through thanks. By nature, we are grumblers. Like, I am a grumbler. I have confession. Mike Thompson, grade A grumbler, okay? Great, I, I grumble, right? Like, God provides for us, and we're like, oh, it's not good enough. He makes sure that we were clothed, and we've got, oh, it's not good enough. <laughs> we are grumblers and at heart, and what this is telling us is look at Jesus, because we have all of eternity to be thankful for. So don't forget to recognize him for it. Proclaim the truth, glorify him in all things, and give thanks. It's a sin of ingratitude to not give thanks. We have so much to be thankful for. So the little side note, bronze nugget, don't forget the thanks, okay? Let's jump back in, verse 16. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's the thankfulness thing again. Point number two in your notes. Let his word dwell among you richly. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The, mess, the, the word for message here is logos, which means the word The word of who? Christ, the word of God. So Paul was saying, let the word of God dwell among you richly. When he says this, he's saying, let it permeate every way into your life. The more nutrients a tree receives from its deeply planted roots, the better expression of its fruit. The same is true for us. The more you allow the word to richly dwell among your life, the greater the expression of his fruit. So let's just be clear, to let the message of God dwell among us richly and to teach and lift each other up in it, it means what? We have to be in the word and reading our Bibles. Can you teach someone something you don't know? Can you lift each other up, which is what admonishing means, without knowing the good news? No. As disciples or followers of Jesus, we have to be those who are in the word and know the word. Now, I know what some of you guys might be thinking because people have said it before. Well, isn't that the pastor's job, like to know and to teach? I hope the pastor's doing that, right? I know our pastor is. I know we've studied. Is it just for pastors? The word of God is the good news for all of his children, and its content is for every single one of us. Pastor Ron Williams, he's been a pastor for like 60 years, great godly man in my life. He said with great conviction and power, he told the young guns, the young young, uh, pastors at the church, he says, you guys, 
You got to get your noses in the book. You have to get your noses in the book. How can we teach others if we don't know the word? You're right. Now, I know what you might be thinking. I just said that it was like Jesus plus nothing. And so now what is it? Like, right? It's like Jesus plus nothing, or now is it Jesus plus reading? Well, we're not, we're not saying Jesus plus couch the rest of your life, right? Like we, we accept him and now go forth and do nothing. That's not what Jesus said, right? But we're also not saying Jesus plus more human effort either. What I mean to say is like, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. We find it in his word, and it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was was God. The word of God is an extension of Jesus, and so we declare all the more this morning, Jesus plus nothing. It's accepting him, yes, but it's also through engaging his word daily. Jesus is the word. What I have to say is this, This isn't you just have to try harder and dig deeper into yourself kind of a message. Being in ministry for as long as I've been in ministry, I've had people ask me over and over again, hey, how do I live a life for Christ? Like, how do I put off the old way of living? It's so hard for me to do that. Like, it's so hard for me to do what he's... Well, if you listen to the world, if you ask the world that question, they're going to tell you things like, dig deeper. You just got to like dig deeper, right? You just got to like, you got to try harder, right? It's like, dig deeper into what exactly? The well of like sick, putrid sin? Like try, try harder with what? Like, like our own subpar effort? Like try harder out of that? There's no amount of human effort that could earn for themselves God's love and forgiveness. It's only Jesus. But the world will say you just have to serve more, sing louder, send more money in, right? Like I was watching TBN one time. This is a real deal. This is crazy. One time years ago, a guy had a prayer towel. You could pay real dollars, okay, to a website for a prayer towel. It was basically like this towel that some old dusty dude had supposedly been like praying over and he was wiping his prayer sweat into the towel. And he's like, all you have to do in your life is just send money in, real money. They're not talking about like monopoly money. They're talking real money. You send real money in and we'll send you the prayer towel. You put your face in my prayer sweat and then your prayers are answered. That's like real. That's a real thing. I'm like, like, oh man, I guess I need to get a prayer towel. You know what I mean? But that's, isn't that what the world does? Just buy more, do more, smile more, fake it till you make it. All of those things are just huge rocks being lobbed at us by the enemy. It's his goal that we would try to like take these things on ourselves, thinking we're somehow going to lift ourselves up out of our sin, all on our own. When in reality, the enemy, he throws those things at us to crush us. We can't get better by digging deeper into ourselves. That kind of human effort only crushes us under the weight of guilt and sorrow. It's like standing in this bucket right here. It's like standing in this bucket. I'm going to lift myself up. I'm going to lift myself up. I just got to try hard. I just got to try hard to lift myself. You can't do that. 
We can't put sin to death that way. And we can't put on the new life that way either. Putting sin to death in our lives and putting on the new life isn't found deeper into ourselves. It's found deeper in Jesus. And we press into the gospel, the word of God, to do that rather than just our own efforts. The problem with our own efforts outside of the word of God is to beat sin. The only, have, the only thing that we have to pit against it is what? More sin. And when sin fights sin, sin wins and you lose. So if you fight your fears and anxieties with manipulation and control, you're not free. You're just walking in a different kind of sin. A sin that you've deemed more acceptable. And if you try to put off the old way by faking it till you make it, you're just going to die with a fake smile on your face. And you're walking in a different kind of sin, a sin that you've deemed more acceptable. It isn't about swapping one sin for another. It's through God's indwelling presence in your heart, period. And how do we do that? We ask him into our lives, and we get to know him better through his word. There is power in the word of God. You want to hear God's voice? Read your Bible out loud. There's God's voice. There's power in the word. There's a research company. This is crazy. I started doing some research on this research company, right? And uh, they conduct surveys on Bible engagement and spiritual growth. And it's called the Center for Bible Engagement. And they've surveyed more than 200,000 people all over the planet since their inception. And have done some like phenomenal research. And they found some pretty astounding results. Check this out. The Center for Bible Engagement have found that Christians who don't read their Bibles regularly are statistically the same as non-Christians. They struggle the same. They look the same. Self-proclaiming Christians who aren't engaging their Bibles regularly are statistically identical to non-believers. However... Those who read their Bible four or more times a week are 57% less likely to get drunk than someone who doesn't read their Bible. If you read your Bible and engage in the Word in four or more days a week, you're 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 61% less likely to look at pornography. 74% less likely to gamble. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Jesus struggled with loneliness. We're going to struggle too. But when we have his word, it makes it easier. But not only that, you're 228% more likely to share your faith. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. And 231% more likely to pour into and disciple others. Why? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why are these statistics so drastic? Because the word of God is power. We don't overcome the enemy by trying harder. We overcome him by accepting Jesus into our hearts as Savior and Lord and then engaging and reading his word. There's power in the book, you guys. This book is a threat 
to the enemy. This book is a threat. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have seen this picture right here? Check this out. How many of you have seen that? You guys know about this, right? It's an advertisement of Greg Glory holding up a, a, a black book in preparation and announcement of the Harvest Crusade, right? These billboards were put up as posters at Fashion Island in Orange County. Apparently, there was so much opposition to this and a quote-unquote serious threat that the owners of the mall had them all taken down. Why? Is it Greg Laurie who's the threat? They said it was because, they cited it was because he was holding the book. What book is it? You can't even, there's no writing on it. Why is this book such a threat to the enemy? Because it is the very power of God. Because inside the pages of this book is the living, breathing power of God able to transform your hearts, your minds, and your lives. How can we deny that in our lives? We need to be those who are well-versed in his word, letting it, letting it dwell among us richly, letting it steep in our lives. Because the longer we spend with him, the more prevalent he becomes. And guess what? That tastes good. That tastes good. So many people ask God for a great move of his spirit when the Holy Spirit is asking us for simple obedience. Let my word dwell among you richly. Let me tell you, God is moving mightily in those whose hearts are obedient to him. Verse 17, last verse, I'll use this to close out. Colossians three seventeen. it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see the thanks again? Just saying, bronze nugget, it's right there. Point number three and final point this morning. Do it all for Jesus, four or more days a week, all for his name. Do it all for Jesus. Whether you're at work or home or play, we shouldn't be those who have our church face on Sunday, our work face on Monday, and then like our party face on Friday. No matter what you do in life, no matter what time you're doing it, do it all for Jesus. When we commit our lives to him, it isn't just our Sunday self that he wants. He desires relationship with us in every aspect of our lives. The point is, when we put him first in everything we do, he helps us see more clearly, and he leads us more purely. He's sanctifying us, setting us apart to be different, statistically and in every other way, different than the world. My challenge to you this morning is do it all for Jesus, and do it all four or more days a week. We're called to be ministers of the gospel Image bearers to bring his light into whatever our situations are. This isn't just for pastors. He wants you to do this for yourself. We think I'll come to church and just get a bump on Sunday and be good all week. I'll, I'll let someone else study the word and let me, let them tell me what it's saying. This is for every believer. If you're a Christian who isn't spending four or more days a week in the Word, you don't look any different than the rest of the world, statistically speaking. You can't get in shape spiritually if you only work out for a half an hour on Sundays. Think about that. I've been trying to lose 25 pounds forever. People are like, well, why aren't you successful? Because I don't work out, right? Like, 
only doing a half an hour workout each week, like you ask any good trainer and they're going to tell you that wasn't, that, that will never work. We don't need like a raw, raw Bible study that makes us feel good once a week. We need to get our noses in the book and seek him daily. Jesus taught us this was the way. He said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. It's not talking about Sarah Lee, right? He's not talking about, he is the bread of life. And man shall not live on physical bread alone, but by every word of God. Do you want to see the stronghold of sin defeated in your life? Get in the book. You want to see the real fruits of the Spirit manifested in your life? Get in the book. It starts in Jesus, accepting him as Savior and Lord, and then continuing in him by consuming his word. So my challenge to you is do it all for Jesus, four or more days a week, all for his name. At the end of your life, when you stand before Jesus at the great white throne of judgment, whose name do you want to be remembered for? Yours or his? Guys, there is life change in Jesus and in this word. If you haven't accepted him or maybe you haven't moved beyond the salvation step, he's calling us into a life of simple obedience. Accept me. Now come and follow me. I can tell you, I can attest to the power of this book because of the amazing transformation that he's done in my life. I was an angry, bitter kid who hated my father. I hated him. I fought anybody that would come. You would look at me weird in the store. I'll see you out in the parking lot. Let's go. Let's go. I was a fighter because I was so bitter and angry and I had hate in my heart. But then God got a hold of my life in high school. He got a hold of my heart and he started this transformation in me. And because of that transformation and following after him and seeking him more, you know what? He restored the relationship with my dad. He rest- what the world said can't be restored. God restored my relationship. And he can restore you too. Accepting Jesus is our salvation event. But continuing with him, praying, reading, pursuing him is the process which we get to do daily. It's through those steps that he makes his face shine upon us. And we grow. And I know that I stand here before you this morning and I want to grow some more. I want to go deeper in Jesus. How about you? My question is, what kind of church will we be? Those who simply attend or those who get in the word? Those who get in the book, who know it and share it with others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your good book, for your word that has the power to save us. We glorify your great name and we ask that you would give us power from on high that you would transform us from the inside out for your kingdom, for your glory. We do it all for you, Jesus, all for your name. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.